Hey everyone, welcome to episode 25 of the True Crime Couple Podcast. I'm Kay. And I'm John. At the top of the show, we just want to thank everyone for all the comments and likes on social media. We can't thank you enough. It is with your help through Patreon and our sponsors, which today are Hymns, Modcloth, and Care Of, that we can try to bring you a better sounding podcast. We know it's on shaky ground right now. We really love all of the support we are getting. It's amazing, and we really, really can never thank you guys enough. If you want to help us out, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you'd like to donate, you could do so on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash couple. All right. Are you ready for another unsolved case? Oh, I'm ready. Can't wait. <laughs> so I stumbled upon this case as I was looking for at the case of Elsa Lamb. You know, the Cecil Hotel, the girl in the elevator. She thought people think she's talking to a ghost. Yeah, she was like peering out the door, ran back in. And then what happens to her is her unfortunate demise. But I'm going to save that for a different case. Hmm. Because I feel like people have covered that a lot lately. So I wanted to bring something new kind of to the table. Okay, news good. Yeah, and I want it to continue with the hotel case like the whole idea of a hotel has always been kind of creepy to me well yeah because you got people that come in and out yeah you know i guess it's like that deep rooted the shining hotels will always be creepy after that book stephen king has that effect on people yeah so i always associate hotels with something bad which is kind of weird because it means you're also going on vacation or doing something fun but i'm always petrified when i come home and i'm sleeping and it's like you're doing your normal routine outside of your normal routine. True. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just... It's hotels, not your bed. Hotels have always weirded me out. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that yeah. either. I like being able to sleep in my own bed. Right. I always like bringing my sheets when I go into a hotel. So you like that car- cartoon character uh, from yeah. um, uh, Charlie Brown? <laughs> you like your little blanket? I don't know if that's a good comparison. No, it's not. I don't know. No, I don't, I don't I like say it. no. <laughs> Well, for our older listeners, maybe Charlie Brown no, is a good one. It's just he's not bringing sheets; it's just a blanket. Well, blanket's okay. better than nothing. Okay. Anyway, so um, in today's case, we have a mystery in every sense of the word, and the case is commonly referred to as the murder in room ten forty six. Ooh, spooky! Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. During the afternoon of January 2nd, 1935, a tall husky man with cauliflower ear, a large scar on the side of his head, and no luggage, walked into the Hotel President in Kansas City, Missouri. He asked for a room that was several floors high. He signed the register as Roland T. Owen of Los Angeles and paid for one night's stay. The man known as Owen told the bellboy, who was later identified as Randolph Prost, that he originally wanted to stay at a nearby hotel called the Malbec, but at $5 a night their prices were way too high. Don't forget, we are talking about they're in the midst of the Depression. So even staying at a hotel is a luxury. And it's just like $5. Like we think about $5, it's nothing. Well, like like, with inflation, $5 is a lot. It's crazy. So Prost agreed that that was an unreasonable price 
and they reached Mr. Owen's room, which is room 1046. When they entered the room, Owen went directly into the bathroom where he deposited a comb, brush, and toothpaste that he had stored in his coat pocket. Both men then walked into the hallway. Prost locked the room door and then handed Owen the key. Owen then left the hotel. It seems to happen a lot with this hotel that they lock the door from the outside. Okay, so it's not like our typical like slide. Well, you thing can in. you can lock it from the inside. No, because it's nineteen thirty five. So they didn't have that. At around two p.m., a maid was let into room ten forty six to clean. When the maid entered, she noticed that Owen was sitting alone in a dark room. He had the shades tightly drawn, and the room's only light source was a small lamp on the desktop. Okay, so he had checked in like mid morning. And now it's 2 p.m. She goes in. He's sitting alone in the room. Shades are drawn. Lamp on the desk. She described Owen as being afraid and nervous. As she was cleaning, he told her to leave the door unlocked when she left, as he was expecting a friend. As she was finishing up her cleaning routine, Owen put on his coat. Right before he left, he reminded her again, don't lock the door. So now he put on his coat to leave. And he tells her, leave the door unlocked when you go. If I was the maid, I'd, I'd be a little turned off by that. It's just weird. You go in, you go in to try to clean, yeah. and he's just sitting in a corner with a lamp. It's a little awkward. It's odd. Yeah. When the whole place is dark, I would, I would be very uneasy. I would be unsettled, I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's unsettling, for sure. I think it's just unsettling to like do a cleaning routine with a guest in the room anyway, period. Like, Wouldn't you want to do that while someone's not I there? Thought, oh, see, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it was back then, but I'm, I feel like nowadays it's like if you have a do not disturb thing, that's one thing. But if you don't, you're not there. They yeah. come in. Well, let's not forget that we're talking about like 1935 hotels, yeah. especially the President Hotel in Kansas City. If you're staying at a hotel, it is considered a luxury. So there was a whole, a lot of different services that were done for you back then that aren't done today. Right, like wake-up calls? Yeah, I mean, people still do wake-up calls, but it was just a little different. A little different, yeah. Around 4 p.m., the maid returned to the room with fresh towels. The door was still unlocked, but Owen had returned. He laid on the bed, fully clothed. The room was lit the same way it had been before, but there was no mention of the two having any type of interaction, like they didn't have a conversation back and forth. So I would hope he was asleep because I think it would just be the worst day ever for this poor maid that she first walked into the first awkward experience. And now the second one, he's just laying on his bed fully clothed. Doesn't say anything about them talking to each other. So I'm assuming maybe that he was sleeping. But it so, do- doesn't mention if he was sleeping or if they just didn't have a conversation. Right. Which is but, weird. I mean, but he's fully clothed laying on his bed. Yeah. Or, like, he's on his back. Right. Okay. Or what she might have done is just, like, see him, be like, this guy's still being weird, drop off the towels, book it. That's what I probably, probably would have done. yeah. I'm sorry, I take that back. She couldn't have just dropped off the towels because it's at this point that she reports seeing a note left on the desk. Okay. So she had to, or she dropped the towels off on the desk and peered over and saw a note. And on this note, she saw that Owen had written down, Don, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. But he was there. So maybe that's the note that he left before he 
left with her while she was cleaning. When he put his coat on, maybe. Right. Yeah. Right. So that would be, you know, that's maybe like your small little time gap there. Yeah, maybe he was writing the letter while he was sitting at the table when she first came in. Right, exactly. But either way, we do learn important information that when he told her, keep the door unlocked and waiting for a friend, that this friend's name is Don. Okay. So the next report of Owen comes the next morning at 10.30 a.m. The maid came in to clean his room. The door was locked from the outside. We know, well, we know this because she had to unlock the door with a pass key. So when you have to unlock the door with a certain pass key that the maids and maintenance had, that meant that the door was locked from the outside. Oh, outside. Okay. Outside. Okay. If it's locked from the inside, then they can't open it. The door has to be open for them because that means the guest is in there and locked the door. Right. For privacy. So does that mean that the only way the door could be locked from the outside is if an employee locked it? Not an employee. Anyone who has the key for the room. Okay. All right. And he was given two sets of keys upon his arrival. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So be- usually when you have to use a pass key to enter a room, that means someone locked it from the outside. So that means that the guest has left the, the room. Correct. Right? Yes. So she expected no one to be in the room. So when she walked in, she was kind of like startled to see Owen sitting in one of the chairs in the room. How Like he like scared her because she expected no one to be there. And the room was completely dark and he was just staring straight ahead. At her? Just like in general, like, you know, like zoned out. Yeah, he zoned out. That's the way he was explained. Hmm. Before either could speak, the phone rang and Owen answered it. He was speaking with Don. Now, was this the same Don from the letter that he was writing to? I mean, we could assume that it's the same Don. It's a common name, but the coincidence is there. The maid said she heard Owen say, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. After the brief exchange on the phone, he ended the conversation. Once Owen was finished with his phone conversation, he started asking the maid a lot of questions. She later told police that she felt almost as if she was being interrogated. He was asking her about the procedures of the hotel, what her duties as a maid were, and then he told her the same thing he told the bellboy, that he was going to stay at the mall back, but the prices were too high, so he ended up going to the president. Quite quickly, the maid finished cleaning the room and left, taking the dirty towels with her. I don't blame her. I feel really bad for this staff. It's, oh, yeah, me it's too. It's kind of very scary, weird situations. I mean, I'm sure they're used to it. Yeah, when, I mean, weird when you're subjected interactions. to that all the time, it's kind of commonplace. Yeah. But somebody for someone like me and you, that would really suck. <laughs> yeah, because my interactions are mostly awkward at all times, so this would make it double awkward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what we're going to do right now is take a quick break from our first sponsor today, Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Recently, I visited 4hims.com to take care of some premature hair loss issues I think that I've been having. I really learned so much from the website. I also felt really comfortable because I was at home, not having to go to a doctor's office or have to go to embarrassing consultation. I was able to read articles and talk to real, medically trained professionals about my concerns. I learned that I need to act now because statistics say that 66% of men lose their hair by 33, and when you start to notice it going, it is already too late. I decided I need to act now if I want to keep my hair that I have. 
A lot of guys that I know try some really bizarre things to keep their hair. But why not turn to medicine and science if it is proven to work? The solution to this problem is 4hims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional, like it was for me. Hims can connect you to real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. Hims has generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that helped me keep my hair. The whole process was so easy. All I had to do was answer a few questions, and after a quick doctor review, my prescriptions were ready. All products were shipped directly to my door, and it was so easy. I loved it. While supplies last, our listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4hims.com TCC for the deal. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash T-C-C. 4hims.com slash T-C-C. Again, that's 4hims.com slash T-C-C. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so where we left off, the maid had creepy encounter number three, where she walked in, she wasn't expecting to see Owen there, and she just picked up the dirty towels and kind of booked it out of there as quickly as possible. So later that day, she went back up to the room to return the clean towels. She knocked on the door because when she approached, she heard two men speaking. After she knocked, she heard someone say, yes. She explained that she was there to drop off clean towels. She states that a man, who she didn't think was Owen, said in a rather gruff voice, that they were not in need of towels. So she left them alone. So now she hears a man in the room with Owen. They don't need towels, so she leaves. Could this be the the Don? Could this be... Yeah, could that be Don? Yeah. I don't know. So it's not stated in documentation that I could find on the case, but at some point, Mr. Owen had to have paid for additional days because now at this point, we're into the second day that he's staying in this hotel. So I am assuming that it was before he asked the maid all of those questions because he seemed to be caught up in the pricing of the hotel. Like, remember in the beginning of the day, he, like, was interrogating her about how the hotel works and the pricing. Well, right. And also uh, the bellboy, right? No, the bellboy was the first day. No, but I'm saying, like, not only did he say that to the maid, but he also said that to the bellboy about the pricing that he didn't want to... When he first checked in. Right, exactly. So I'm assuming he said that to the maid because he had went down to just pay more of the bill. But either way, later that day, a woman named Jean Owen... Now, this always happens in every case we do. Someone has the same name. Jean Owen is not related to Roland T. Owen, who is our guest in 1046. They just happen to have the same last name. So Jean Owen was given room 1048, the room next to Owen. She reports that she had a very troubled night because of her neighbor. She heard loud fighting between male and female voices. She described the argument as being violent. She said that she heard a scuffle and later in the night a gasping sound, but she said later that She didn't really report anything because she heard it in the middle of the night, kind of woke her from a sleep. So she just assumed it was like snoring from another room. Hmm. But because bizarre things ended up happening this night, she, in retrospect, she's like, oh, that was kind of weird that I heard that sound. It could have been the gasping of a woman. Interesting. Yeah. 
So she wanted to call the clerk at the desk, but decided against it because she also didn't want to appear nosy. 1935, you kind of stay out of everyone's business. It's not really like it is today too much. We're like, you call about every little thing. That's that's annoying. It just kind of is what it is. Right. So there is a side incident that takes place the same night involving the 10th floor. I don't know if it's involved in our case of Roland T. Owen, but if it happened the same night on the same floor, it's always worth a mention. So the graveyard shift elevator operator at the hotel, whose name was Charles Blotcher, stated that he heard what appeared to be a party going on in room 1055, so it was relatively close to Owen's room. At midnight, he took a woman to the 10th floor, who he knew to be a regular at the hotel, saying that in air quotes. Um, he stated that she frequents the hotel with different men in different rooms. And that night she was supposed to be meeting someone in room 1026. So obviously she's a sex worker. Let's, or, or she's just someone who frequently hangs out in the company of men. After he dropped her off, he received notice that the elevator was signaled back to the 10th floor. So he drops her off the 10th floor and then he gets called back to go up. That's the way the old elevators worked. Like there was always an attendant there. Now, if I was in that elevator, I'd have a heart attack. Yeah, you are scared of elevators. <laughs> I can't, that, guys, that's, that's my your only nightmare fear. job then. Yeah. Could you imagine? I think I'd die. I wouldn't even last an hour. <laughs> All right, maybe an hour, but no more than that. It's pretty bad. It is pretty bad. Well, my dad used to like. There was a time my dad was a very overweight man, and he used to jump up and down in the elevators to scare me. So imagine being a kid and you're 400 pounds. you think he was going to snap? Yeah, well, my dad was like 450 pounds. No, I'm not even exaggerating. But the weight limit's like 2,500. I know, but I'm a kid. I didn't know. know. So when he was jumping, the whole elevator would shake. Aw. Well, it's okay. You're going to work through it. Oh, yeah. No, I'll be fine. <laughs> so the elevator was signaled back to the 10th floor. And when the doors opened, it was that same woman again. She was very concerned because the man she was supposed to meet was nowhere to be found. Blotter did not know what to tell her. And he didn't recall the man she was referring to. So he tr- she tried to explain to him the man she was looking for. And he couldn't remember seeing him. So she told him, okay, and that she would just wait for him. So she's going to stay on the 10th floor, and the elevator is going to return back to the first floor. After about 30 minutes, she summoned the elevator back up to the 10th floor. She got on and left the hotel. There was no description of her elevator ride at that time, so they didn't have a conversation. She just kind of got back on and left. After one hour, the woman returned to the hotel with another man. Blotcher took the two to the 9th floor. At around 4 a.m., the woman left the hotel, followed by the man, about 15 minutes later, and the couple was never identified by name. This whole story is going to come to play a little bit later. We also kind of have questions about it right now, only because when Jean Owen described her night next to Roland Owen, she explained an argument taking place between a woman and a man. And hearing all types of different voices. That's why this is kind of might blend together a little bit. And there is a staircase in the hotel, obviously, for safety reasons. So could they have went to the ninth floor and then walked one up to the 10th? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a possibility. So let's just kind of put this on the back burner right now. This bizarre couple and woman. 
Gotcha. I thought it was very strange that the elevator attendant didn't know her by name only because he did describe her as a regular. Or Maybe she just never had just, that conversation. I know, but or at least couldn't describe her a little bit. If she's a regular in the hotel, she had to have stopped by again after this incident. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I see what you're saying. So I think it's weird that this woman was never identified. Hmm. Another bizarre incident was this. At 11 p.m. that night, a man named Robert Lane was driving down a street when he saw a man running down the sidewalk. It was strange because it was January and the man was only wearing pants and an undershirt. So like a white t-shirt. When the man saw Lane driving, he flagged him down. He thought that Lane was a taxi driver. So once he realized the mistake, he apologized, but asked if the man could take him to an area where it was possible for him to catch a cab. Lane agreed. Once the man got into the car, Lane noticed that he was disheveled and had a wound on his arm. He said to him, you look as if you've been in it bad. And the man responded by saying, I'll kill that, insert bad word here. This also comes from a newspaper in 1935. I'll kill that, insert bad word here, tomorrow. <laughs> when they reached their destination, the man thanked Lane and walked away. Lane saw the man hailing a cab. Returning to the bizarre case of Mr. Owen, back in room 1046, at around 7 a.m. the following morning. Okay, so just want to give you a time frame because it is very confusing. Lane, the man who was driving, saw that mystery man with the wound on his arm at 11 p.m. Okay? The woman and the man that arrived at the hotel, remember, and went to floor nine, they came back at 4 a.m. Okay? So just giving a kind of time frame. So at 7 a.m. the next morning, so three hours after the couple left, the telephone operator of the President Hotel noticed that the phone in room 1046 was off the hook. The operator notified hotel staff. It was determined that they would allow the phone to be off the hook for another few hours because maybe the person in the room did not want to be disturbed out of sleep. After three hours of the phone not being placed back on the hook, the bellboy from before, Randolph Probst, was sent to tell the man to please place the phone back on the hook. When the bellboy found the door locked with a do not disturb sign on the handle, he knocked on the door. He heard a voice tell him to come in. However, when he tried, the door was locked. So he knocked again. The voice then told him to turn the lights on. After a couple more minutes of knocking, Prost got very frustrated. He yelled for the man to put the phone back on the hook and just left. After another hour and a half passed, the operator noticed that the phone was still off the hook. Another bellboy was sent up to address the issue with room 1046. The man, whose name was Harold Pike, had to use a passkey to open the door, meaning, like before, it was locked from the outside. In the barely lit room, Pike saw that the telephone stand was knocked over with the phone laying on the ground, and lying naked on the bed was the mysterious guest. Pike thought that Owen was probably just drunk, so he left without checking on his condition, but he did put the phone back on his hook. I think he was also trying to avoid looking at the man because he was naked. Right. A few hours later, another operator noticed that the line was off the hook again in room 1046. 
So Bellboy Prost was sent up to the room again. As before, the do not disturb sign was hanging off the door. He knocked on the door and received no response. So he used his pass key to enter the room again. What he found was terrifying. Owen, who was still naked, was crouched on the floor, holding his bloody head in his hands. Prost turned on the lights in the room, and he saw blood everywhere, in the bathroom and all over the walls. Prost rushed out and told the manager, who then called police, and the ambulance to arrive. The officers arrived at the scene and asked Owen some questions before he was taken away to the hospital. The evidence that officers were presented with led them to believe that Owen had been tied up and repeatedly stabbed. Besides stab wounds, the man suffered a fractured skull and had a bruised neck, most likely from strangling. It seemed like the hotel room was turned into a torture chamber for Roland T. Owen. When the police asked him what had happened, he only said that he fell against the bathtub. The investigators were puzzled. The search of the room only gave them more questions than answers. In the room, they saw no signs that the man had been there for days. No clothing had been found at all. All of the soap, shampoo, and towels were missing from the room, as was the murder weapon and a cord for the blinds. They guessed that the cords from the blinds were used to bind Owen while he was being held down. They did find strange items that were left behind, including an unsmoked cigarette, a label from a necktie, a hairpin, and four bloody fingerprints on a lampshade. When the police talked to staff, it immediately caught their attention when they heard the clerk tell them that several hours before Owen was found, he had seen a man and woman leave the hotel hurriedly. That's kind of strange because hours before a man and a woman hurriedly leave the hotel. So that would be a different couple than our 4 a.m. couple that left at 15 minutes, 15 minutes in between each other. Right. So well, now there's yeah. a second couple in the mix that possibly could be involved. Hmm. So another couple is described leaving the hotel in a hurried fashion. Owen was taken to the hospital, but shortly after, he slipped into a coma. And later that night, he's going to die from his injuries. Sad, Owen. I know. So we're going to take a quick break from the show to talk about our second sponsor, ModCloth. ModCloth's mission is to serve and celebrate the community, inspire individual style, and empower women to be the best version of themselves through their signature line of apparel. ModCloth is designed by women... And they take great pride in serving all women with their collection, which serves sizes extra, extra small to 4X. ModCloth currently has a lot of things going on. It's bathing suit season, and they have a lot of new aquatic prints, rainbow brights, and sun summer wear, perfect for women of all shapes and sizes. It's also wedding season, and you can find everything you need from the ModCloth Bridal Boutique, whether you're the bride, bridesmaid, or the best-dressed guest. Confused about what size you are in those unique bathing suits, wedding dresses, or anything in between? You can get free sizing and styling help online from their team of mod stylists. I really love mod cloth. Their style is so unique and authentically vintage that you're sure to get compliments on the statement pieces that you could get there. 
Besides having such a wide array of sizes, they also have a wide array of clothing. You have the casual outfits, the dresses, the work clothes, everything for every occasion. The website is also super easy to navigate, and the checkout process is effortless. ModCloth is having a great deal for True Crime Couple listeners. To get 15% off of your purchase of $100 or more, go to modcloth.com. That's M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com and enter code TCC at checkout. But you have to hurry up because this offer expires on June 29th of 2018. Again, that's M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H dot com, modcloth.com, and be sure to enter TCC at checkout for 15% off of your purchase of $100 or more until June 29th. Okay, back to the show. When police began the process of notifying next of kin, they had trouble finding where Roland T. Owen lived. He said that he was from Los Angeles, but the LAPD had no records of a man under that name living there. They had no idea who their victim was. A bizarre phone call came in to the Kansas City Police Department saying that they knew who the dead man was, and he lived in Clinton, Missouri. But when they tried to follow up on that lead, there was just really no follow-through. This was, seemed to be just one of those, like, false claims. Which happens a lot. Yeah. Investigators chose to have the body on public display in the funeral home in hopes that someone would recognize him. This is when Robert Lane comes forward and visits the funeral home. He identified the man that had asked for a car ride as the man in the casket. So that weird guy who was running in the street in his pants and undershirt with the wound on his arm, asking because he thought he was a cab, that was Owen. No way. Yeah. Hmm. This is getting... Interesting. Interesting. It's weird. A few bartenders testified that they saw a man who matches Owen's description with two women. Police also later found out that the night before, a few bartenders testified that they saw a man who matches Owen's description with two women. Police also later found out that the night before, Owen registered at the President Hotel. A man, also matching his description, checked in for one night at the Malbach. He registered as Eugene K. Scott of Los Angeles. Police could not find a man under that name registered in Los Angeles either. So presumably, it's the same person. And that would make sense because he kept complaining about the prices of the Malbec Hotel. But he's using different identities. Yes. Huh. Adding to the mystery, prior to the check-in at the Malbec, the man had stayed at another hotel in Kansas City called the St. Regis. However, on this occasion, he was with another man who was never identified. Another person who recognized the man in the casket was a wrestling promoter named Tony Bernardi. He identified Owen as someone who had visited him weeks prior. The man told him that his name was Cecil Werner, and he wanted to sign up for wrestling matches in the area. Now that could possibly explain the cut on his face and the cauliflower ear. Police could not identify Owen, let alone who his killer was. They believed that they were going to have to write this off as another unsolved mystery. By the beginning of March, they were planning on burying their John Doe in an unmarked grave. 
Now, his body was to be sent to Kansas City's Potter's Field, which has an interesting history in itself. During the Great Depression, many, especially those in the Midwest who were also plagued by the Dust Bowl, were penniless. How could one afford a proper burial site during this time? However, hard times existed for Midwesterners in the United States both before and after the Great Depression. So just a short history aside here. During World War I, which has more bearing on this case because of the time frame, because we're talking about the aftermath of it, um, farmers had considerable problems. Obviously, we're talking about the Midwest, Kansas City, Missouri. America joined World War I in early April of 1917. History textbooks will tell you that America's joining of the conflict was a result of unrestricted submarine warfare from the Germans, uh, one example being the sinking of the Lusitania, or the Zimmerman Note, when Germany asked the Mexican government if they would ever assist them in an American invasion, (laughs) and everyone found out about it. And if they agreed, Mexico could reclaim the land that America had taken from them, mostly the southwestern states in California. Although those things did anger the American government, the main reason for involvement in World War I was the almighty dollar. American investors had been aiding allies since the start of the war, but it seemed as if the juggernaut that was the German army in World War I was going to prevail, especially with the unindustrialized Russia not carrying their weight. But that's a different story that we definitely want to cover at a different time. If the Allies lose, the American investors wouldn't get their money back. And because these investors were single-handedly funding the American banks during the Great Depression, it was imperative that the Allies won. Therefore, America joins the war effort, which brings us back to the farmers. Because America now needs to provide rations to all the Allied soldiers on the Western Front, the government signed contracts with the farmers to produce as much as possible in their lands. However, in order to do so, farmers went out and bought new farming equipment to help aid in their massive plantings and harvests. And this worked amazingly the first year. And the second year, crops were planted again, but even more this time. However, just after the second harvest in November of 1918, the war ended, and the American farmers were left with all of their crops. Europe was in turmoil, so they didn't have foreign markets to sell it to. Plus, now they have to pay all the debts that they accrued because they needed to get new farming equipment to plant and harvest all of these crops. So it was rough, extremely rough. And looking at the history of Potter's Field, you can see the effect that this had. I just thought this was like such an interesting part of American history, this Potter's Field, because... Between the years of 1911 and 1965, people could not afford, because the, what happened with the farmers after World War I was so devastating for decades to come. It took a while, and then they had the Dust Bowl, and then yes, World War II did kind of pull us out of that Great Depression, but farmers were still financially strained. They had enough to survive with their farms, they didn't have enough to pay for funerals. So in a lot of cities, not just Kansas City, there were these mass grave sites, and Potter's Field was one of them. Between 1911 and 1965, roughly 10,000 people were buried in three plots of unmarked graves because their families couldn't afford otherwise. That's insane. That's Could crazy. you imagine that happening 10, now? 10,000 bodies of unplotted 
graves. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, since then, the names have been released, and Kansas City has honored the men, women, and children that occupy the space. They had to do so in doing renovations to um, the grave the grave sites. Right. But 10,000 people got buried. That's a, that's a, uh, that really yeah, is a staggering Because they couldn't number. afford it. So yeah. think about the amount of bodies that were underground in those plots. Right. The way they were buried. And that's where our man Owen was headed. Huh. In an unmarked grave in Potter's Fields. But before this could happen, the head of the funeral home in which Owen was held at got an anonymous phone call. Of course, of course, everything's anonymous. An anonymous phone call right before the body was to be sent to Potter's Fields. The man on the other end of the phone asked if the burial could be delayed until money could be sent. The anonymous caller explained that Roland T. Owen really was the name of the man that had died. And furthermore, he was engaged to his sister. He went on to say that police are on the wrong track about what happened to Roland, that the boy had just got into what he called a jam. Sure enough, in a few days' time, the cash the mysterious caller promised was sent through a special delivery mail service. And again, it was sent anonymously. This meant that Owen was buried in Memorial Park Cemetery and not Potter's Field. The only people who were at the funeral was the priest, the funeral director himself, and a few detectives that were working the case. That's really sad. Yeah. But oddly enough, a a bouquet of roses arrived at the grave with a note that read, Love forever, Louise. When the florist that had delivered the flowers was questioned, the florist said that someone had sent the money over anonymously with an order requesting for the flowers to be sent to that grave. So there's people out there that that definitely care enough or are trying to aid in the cover-up. True. You could do that. You could say that, too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's weird that they would pay for the funeral. Because if I were someone who did do this or was responsible for it, I'd much rather him bar- be buried in Potter's Field with 10,000 other people. It'd be hard right. to resume a grave or do something like that. Like, I'd want him thrown in there. So that begs to differ with the fact that maybe they're trying to cover it up. Uh, I'm sorry. I actually missed the part. Did you say that a woman got the flowers? Or am I just making that up in my head? A woman sent the flowers, a woman supposedly. Sent the f- okay. so it, it says, love forever, Louise. See, that's funny. Because-, because we don't know what this... The man who called about the funeral being postponed, we don't know what his name is, so we don't know what his sister's name is. Could this be... Well, I was thinking, could this be connected? Not to jump ahead, but... Could this be that couple? I don't know if it's the couple. I would I would say that most likely this might be a mistake where there quite possibly was a Roland T. Owen that was engaged to a woman, but he left and went away and went west. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, totally, totally. So it was, it's just by chance that this is the man's name. He's engaged to my sister. We'll pay for it. But really, in reality, they just have the wrong man. I don't think so. I, I'm not saying that I know something that you don't. I'm just saying that that's but just what too, couple, that's, why would too you, coincidental. But why would you think the couple at the hotel would? 
Well, I don't know if it, I, I can't say for sure. I can't say for certain if if that there's a connection between that. But it seems to be a trend in the whole story um, for there to be a couple. Um, you know, whether it was the sex oh, worker and uh, the like gentleman, like a man or, and a woman being involved. Correct. I mean, I think that you have to say to yourself, it would take more than one person to subdue Owen. Very true. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I I don't know. So, but, the, but there could be something with that, though. There really could be. Yeah, but then you also have to think, on the other hand, just because it says love Louise doesn't necessarily mean that a woman wrote it. Very true. Okay. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a break to talk to you about our third sponsor today, Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service made from effective quality ingredients personally tailored to your exact needs. Sometimes, even with eating healthy, it can be hard to get in all of the essential nutrients your body needs for its long-term health. Something that can fill the gaps is vitamins. They can give your body what it's missing from your diet and then that extra boost when you really need it. Not sure what you need? Care of has you covered. Care of's fun online quiz makes it easy for you to find out what you really need. I loved taking it. It was a short quiz that asked me about my diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. Then it used my answers to create a personalized vitamin pack just for me. I loved getting my results. I was told that my body would benefit from having more calcium because I don't eat enough in my diet and I drink a lot of caffeine. I need a vitamin B complex to just boost my energy a little bit in the afternoon and I definitely need some milk thistle, which supports liver health, especially after all the damage that my wine does during the week. You got that right. <laughs> and those are just a few of the selections that I received. I got to choose the supplements I wanted, and my 30-day individualized packs were on their way to my front door. The vitamins are individually wrapped for a day at a time, so it's so convenient to just grab a pack and go. I also love that my name is printed on them with an inspiring message every day. It's really cute. I really have to say it feels great knowing that I'm taking supplements that I know are helping my body in ways that I never would be able to through my diet alone. And what's great is that you can modify your subscription at any time. Right now, Care Of is offering our listeners a great deal. You can get 25% off of your first month of personalized Care Of Vitamins if you visit TakeCareOf.com and enter code TCC at checkout. Again, you can get 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of Vitamins if you visit TakeCareOf.com and enter code TCC. Okay, back to the show. Just under two years will pass until something will happen again in the case of Roland T. Owen. A woman, whose name is Eleanor Ogletree, had just learned of this mysterious case and the account of the murder in American Weekly magazine. She believed that the description the magazine gave of the murder victim matched that of her missing brother, Artemis. The Ogletrees were from Birmingham, Alabama. Artemis, who was 17 years old, had left his home in April of 1934 to see the country. Usually, the Ogletree's mother would receive letters discussing where her son was 
and what his travels were like. However, the last time she had heard from him was when she received three very brief typewritten letters. The first of these three letters arrived in the spring of 1935, which would have been several months after Owen was murdered in the hotel room. Mrs. Ruby Ogletree, who is the mother, had explained that she was very suspicious of these letters arriving because her son didn't know how to type, nor did he own a typewriter. In addition to the letters that were sent, a phone call was received a month later. The call was from a man named Jordan. Jordan had said that Artemis had saved his life in Egypt and that her son married a wealthy Cairo woman. She was very confused by this whole ordeal. She could not ever believe that her son would be a world traveler and that he certainly wouldn't get married without telling his family, who he was very close to. Eleanor Ogletree requested a picture of Roland T. Owen, and as soon as her and her mother saw the picture of the man in the coffin at the funeral home, they immediately recognized him. Roland T. Owen is Artemis Ogletree, a 17-year-old boy from Alabama. Although the victim was finally identified, the killer still was not, and the circumstances surrounding the murder provided more questions than answers. The case was briefly opened in 1937, when a man died under mysterious circumstances in a New York hotel, but upon further investigation, there was no connection found other than the fact that both men had given false names and had been murdered in a hotel room. So no connection was really found between the two. Most information that has been obtained for this show and this case is through the diligent work of John Horner, who is a librarian in the Kansas City Public Library. Horner worked tirelessly to collect all the information possible in what is now known as the Ogletree case. As he was doing his research in 2003, he received a phone call from an anonymous number. No way. Yes way. The call, of course, the caller, of course, would not give their name. And they stated that they had gone through the belongings of someone who had recently died. And in that person's belongings, they found a box. And in the box, they found extensive news clippings on the case and something that had been mentioned in the newspapers that was missing from the crime scene. The caller would not tell Horner what this item was, and the caller never contacted Horner again, of course adding another layer of mystery to this case. Could it have been the soap, the shampoo, the towels, maybe the murder weapon, or the cord that was hanging from the blinds? It seems like this case will definitely never be solved, but it is definitely one that is known very commonly among Kansas City, Missouri. And it, people do have a lot of different theories surrounding the Ogletree case or the horror of Room 1046. What I think is one of the most prevalent theories surrounding this is the fact that Ogletree must have been must have gotten involved with the wrong people in Kansas City. In 1935, there was a big mob mafia, Italian mafia presence in Kansas City. So maybe when he was doing the fighting, which he, if you have cauliflower ear, you're doing a lot of fighting. Right. 
it's actually funny that you said that because uh, just so you know, guys, I actually I take notes sometimes, um, and in the beginning of the show, within the first five minutes, I actually wrote down fighter. So I think that he definitely is. He definitely was participating in some sort of boxing or wrestling, like more underground. Yeah. Maybe I mean, something that like the mob could be betting on. Yes, there was a lot of betting that was taking place. And the man who did, I mean, we don't want to sound like we are stereotyping anyone, but the man who did identify him as the person who reached out to him was an Italian man. Right. So maybe there was a connection there with him getting involved. Maybe he owed money to people. And the result was an attack because the only thing that makes me think he got attacked by mafia or a bookie or somebody like that was the fact that when the police asked him what happened, he said he fell in the bathtub. Right. Like he did not want to give up who hurt him. So I would think that if it was just a casual interaction with a couple, which other the other theory is, is that either it's the mafia or a couple. That if it was a casual interaction with a couple that went bad, a love triangle gone wrong, he would have said, these people stabbed me. Well, that's actually funny you mentioned that too, because I also said to myself, what if there is a possibility that he was kind of, I don't know if it would be the sex worker or another female that he may have met being involved, maybe possibly being involved with the mob, that maybe that woman was related to somebody in the mob. And, he, you know, he is 17 years old. He's a dude. Right. Maybe he was, like, getting flirtatious or something. With the wrong woman. With the wrong woman. It The evidence that supports a woman being present in the room is a hairpin that was left behind. And the fact that Gene Owen heard the raised voices of both a man and a female in the room. Right. However, the hairpin could be used for a lot of different purposes. It did seem like Owen was on the run. Ogletree was on the run. He didn't have anything with him. He had nothing. Right. No belongings. He didn't have anything. It's very but, strange. But what he did have was he did have enough money to pay for multiple hotels. Right. So. And he, he did sign up for fighting, which he obviously did. So maybe he was trying to raise money to pay somebody back. And then he was just trying to go into hiding and lay be. low. Or, That's what it seems. Or it could be that maybe he was told to lose a match. Let's just say. I think it's a lot of speculation. It is a lot of speculation. But, I mean, we don't have a lot of, like, facts here. I know, but, like, usually what is most likely is what occurred. But the two theories that we have to go on was, do you think this is a murder that happened because he owed someone money or he got in trouble? Or is it a couple? So we just have to look at the evidence we have. a love triangle? Yes, one of the theories is a love triangle. What supports the love trial theory is two things. It could either have been the couple from the elevator that was seen leaving at 15-minute intervals, which is kind of suspicious, or the couple who left only a few hours before his body's discovery. Right. And the fact that Gene Owen heard a woman, a woman's voice from that room, and a hairpin was found in on the scene. It does also seem to be like a crime of passion. Right. Well, I mean, he was really messed up. He was stabbed yeah. and strangled. And, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. But then why would he, when the police asked who did this, not want to give them up? 
Maybe because he thought he would make it out and he didn't want to further bring more attention to to himself for them to come back. It may also not even be a love triangle. It may also be a business interaction or a business deal. Like they were trying to do something and like a man and a wife have like this kind of illegal thing. A man and a woman have this illegal thing going on. Owen was coming in to try and get a piece of it. And then there was a bad, bad blood between the business partners. Truthfully, if you're going to ask me what I think, I think that from everything that we have in front of us, mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say, for me anyway, yeah. that he got himself into a really bad bot with mob-related ties. He was definitely fighting probably to make money for himself because he was traveling. He probably got himself into a bad spot, had to owe someone money, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to pay that back. Probably couldn't. Realized that he couldn't and started hopping from hotel to hotel. Well, to, why? For someone so he wouldn't be found. I get that. I get that. And I, I do tend to lean towards the fact that he was into something illegal, something bad. And it just went wrong. That's what I think. I think that I tend to believe that it's more of an innocent something went wrong with someone than like he was this... uh. Some people try to make it out like he was doing all this illegal activity. He was this big, like, kingpin going on in Kansas City. I would believe he's, that. He's 17 years old. I was just old. about to say that. I was just about to say that. I would believe that, but he's 17. So I don't think that can be the truth. But another thing that makes me want to assume that it's not the mafia or any type of organized crime is the fact that they... There's a lot of weird circumstances that go on afterwards. The paying for the funeral, the flowers being sent, letters being sent to Mrs. Ogletree, a call being made about the whole Cairo thing. Yeah, someone was trying to, like, extend his life after his death. Right, that's what makes me think that it was a bad business deal gone wrong with somebody. Not massive organized crime, because they really wouldn't care. They would just kill you and let it go. That is true. That's the way it was in the 1930s. Um, we are coming down from prohibition, so it wasn't prohibition error, but they still acted like it was. So I think it would just be a, you're dead, killed you. They wouldn't have this whole setup. I think it's more of a small deal that he made with a, a man and a woman, and it went bad. Right, but what could it be? Just anything. I mean, anything with betting. you got to remember, there, it, would have to, be some, it would have to be something small time. Because if it wasn't small time, he wouldn't be killed for it. In Kansas City at the time, the biggest thing, because Prohibition was now over, the biggest illegal thing was betting. Right. And that is is what seems most probable, especially because he was involved with fighting. Which I would be curious to know if he had some sort of boxing or wrestling background, maybe when he was in school or something. Because nobody just walks... Nobody chooses, even I'm sure back then, well, to walk in and, and and fight. In the 1930s or in the Great Depression, people could would do whatever they could to make money. That is true, though, too. So, we don't know. I think that it does... My personal opinion is that it leads more towards just business gone wrong with some partners, not a big organized crime. I don't think it's a love triangle thing. No, I don't either. I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I'm leaning towards... The possibility of mm-hmm. mob, but I mean, you Especially do bring up a different element to he it. He was acting so bizarre in the beginning with the maids and with the bellboys. That was a very bizarre behavior. Plus, I I think it's very strange that the whole thing with the phone being off the hook 
and like yelling to the bellboy to come in or like he was very disoriented. So I felt I feel like could they have been in the room that first time? They might have been in the room the first time. You know, that's cuz that's what popped into my mind was the, the first time when the, the knock on the door, yes, hey, when please they, when put they the wouldn't phone back let on the hook. Probst in, yes. They might have been in the room. I think so. And I really he, do. And if he went in, he might have walked in on it. What if they were... Because they didn't find him until the third time they went back. That's what I'm saying. What if... They could have even been in the room when the second guy came. Absolutely. What if they just... They were in the, the middle bathroom. of it. They were in the middle of what they were getting ready to like destroy they, this they guy. Had, they had to have been. Yeah. Because Pike, who was the, the second bellboy who went up would have noticed when he picked up the phone, blood all over the place, but he didn't. So in the hour and a half from when Pike went in, picked up the cell, the phone, to when they had to go back a third time, this attack took place. And I think that they may have had Owen or Ogletree, whatever you want to call him, he was incapacitated. So yeah, I, I don't think that I think he, he was, was disoriented or, or anything. he was given a lot of alcohol. I think he was passed out and the attack took place and he woke up yeah. like that, all but messed up. I don't think that he I don't think that he was responding though to I think that the people that were in there or person right, that was right, in there. Right, right, that's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, yeah, like he, he wasn't, was drugged yeah, or drunk yeah. or something and that they were the ones who did it and then that attack happened in that hour and a half. Which then, is creepy. And then that's the couple that booked it. Which is very creepy because that was <laughs> I don't know. I just get the feeling that like he definitely did not answer to them. It just doesn't make sense at all. Right. No, I agree with you. And the fact that he goes the the bellboy goes into the room and there, you know, he was able to put the phone back on a hook and everything was like, I mean, it was odd as hell. But there but, was no blood. But everywhere. There was no blood anywhere. And then he leaves, and, and then it happens, and mm-hmm. then they come back. Very. Creepy. I don't know, man. But this is this, a very interesting case. You know what this I case like reminds me of? Tell this me. case reminds me. Well, not. Not because it's similar in the fact that like mm-hmm. the same thing happened, but just that there's more mystery. There's so many layers of mystery. Hinter Kafak, like for me anyway, because yeah, there was so much. Similar. There's so many layers of mystery to that, and there is to this as well. Right. Um, I don't know. It's like it's weird. I think I think it leads more towards a man and a woman murdering him because of a business deal and trying to cover their tracks. Because I don't think that's a move the mafia would have done or any type of organized crime. And I don't think that it was a love triangle because more fighting would have been heard. I think it was a business deal. That's true. And, I mean, the only thing that even supports it being a mob anyway is the fact that, you know, I mean, he was fighting and there was betting involved, I'm sure. Right, right. Uh, Other than that, I don't know what it could be. But we would love to hear what you guys think about this case. So you could tell us on any type of platform on Instagram, on Twitter, we're on Facebook now. And you can let us know what you think about the case, how you think we covered it, if there's anything we missed, or if there's anything you want more information on. Again, please, if you could, give us some reviews on iTunes. That helps us so much. And if you're interested, you could donate to us, patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. We are going to be putting an episode up next week. I know we're a little delayed. I was supposed to do one while we were on spring break, but I wasn't able to get to it. So we are going to have one up next weekend. So that'll be our third Patreon episode that'll be available to those who are donating money. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.